Hey everyone, welcome back to the Period Chats podcast. Today we are going to be talking all about vaginal health, which believe it or not, we've never talked about this topic in depth on our podcast in two years. So we are diving all in. We have Jess Nazareth here with us today. Um, they are a holistic sex coach, which is just incredible. I can't wait to dive into that. And then additionally, in training to be a naturopathic doctor, which a lot of you who listen know we've had amazing naturopaths on. I'm a big believer in naturopathic medicine, but I'm going to hand it over to Jess and you can introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about how you ended up here in this space. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me first and foremost. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Spreading awareness about our bodies is something that I'm super passionate about. So any opportunity to do that is essential. Um, I'm Jess, like you mentioned. Um, I use she, her pronouns, and I am a holistic sex coach as well as a soon-to-be naturopathic doctor come spring, as long as all of my licensing exams go well. Um, and so I have come into this field. I started uh, back in my undergrad with health sciences, and I ended up delving into a little bit more of holistic medicine. It's kind of been something that I've grown up with, um, which I'm really grateful for that. A lot of people end up delving into holistic medicine a little bit later in their life. I actually was two years old and dealing with traditional Chinese medicine and holistic uh, nutrition and things like that from a young age with my family. So um, that's always been something that's been a passion of mine as I got into high school and started dealing with my own hormonal concerns. Um, I do have a diagnosis of PCOS. Um, so for those who don't know, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And holistic medicine, specifically naturopathic medicine, has given me so much relief with my symptoms, but also just making sure that I'm menstruating on time and cycling and feeling good in my body. So once I got out of university, I knew that naturopathic medicine was where I wanted to go. So I practiced, um, I, sorry, I studied here in Toronto um, at CCNM and it just finished the program last, last year. It's a combination of your biomedical sciences. So we know how to diagnose and things like that. But then we combine um, both pharmaceutical um, sciences, but also herbal medicine. We have traditional Chinese medicine, nutrition, counseling. Um, there's a bunch of different kind of modalities. That's what we call them to be able to treat each individual um, from a root cause focus um, and be able to help you with your symptoms and treat the root cause once and for all. So it's definitely something I'm super passionate about. Um, over the past couple of years, I've kind of narrowed my focus in. Originally, it started off more just general reproductive health. And now I've seen this big gap in holistic medicine when it comes to vaginal and sexual wellness. So that's where I am today. It's where I spend a lot of my research time. I'm de developing some courses around it um, because I do think it is an area of medicine that we don't a, know a lot about our bodies, uh, our sex ed sucked, um, and then B, there's a lot of healthcare professionals that aren't necessarily trained in vaginal and sexual wellness. So it leaves this big gap for holistic medicine to kind of come in and be able to help. So that's kind of a little intro, kind of longer than I thought, but <laughs> gives you a little background of me. No, that's incredible. And I love that you touched on all like what goes into becoming a naturopathic doctor and why you ended up where you ended up, because I think it lays the foundation for our chat today, which, you know, okay, vaginal health specifically and sexual wellness both hold a lot of shame around them. A lot of people feel a lot of shame around smells, looks, mm -hmm. everything. So let's just dive in and talk about, you know, why is vaginal health important? Because, you know, I didn't realize that that like, you know, the vagina and the vulva were their whole own, you know, 
what's the right even word? Like their whole own microorganism. Yeah, almost like your own system. Yeah, own system and self-cleaning and so many amazing things. And if I just let it do what it was supposed to do, it would actually be okay. I didn't have to buy all these crazy products that would give you yeast infections. And that's like probably more down the road. But, you know, why should we care about it? And what does it look like to have a healthy vaginal health? Yeah. So to start, I think um, when we talk about shame around our vaginas and vulvas, you know, that stems back centuries. And so something I actually came across over the last few weeks um, as I was creating my vaginal health course is where vaginal hygiene, and I put hygiene in quotations because it does kind of perpetuate that shame that we need to take extra care um, of our vaginas and vulvas when in reality they are self-cleaning and there's a lot less is more in these in a lot of these situations. Um, and so back in the day, Lysol was, and Lysol, I'm talking about the Lysol that you use to clean the surfaces yeah. in your house. No, that is a real thing, guys. Like, yes, this is a Lysol real thing. Is the, Lysol is the origin of this. Yes. Lysol was recommended to people, specifically they targeted people who identified as women um, to use as feminine hygiene products to now, this is a big thing to prevent their husbands from leaving them, to prevent their husbands from cheating on them, to prevent their husbands, blah, blah, blah. It was this type of shame that started. Excuse and this was, excuse me. Yes, yes. There is tons of photos. Like you could just search up Lysol vaginal health or vaginal hygiene ads, and you will see it everywhere. It is honestly appalling. So when we think about where, you know, the generations before us came from, and we think of now, there's not a whole lot of difference. So right now we have feminine hygiene industries like Vagisil and other companies really perpetuating similar notions. And it may not be right up in your face saying your husband will leave you or your partner will leave you, but rather it's odor reducing, odor enhancing, how to smell like roses and flowers. And this is just not the right message that we should be sending to those with vulvas, especially to teenagers, people who are just learning about their bodies. This is such a harmful narrative. So for me, a really big part of vaginal health is just being in tune with your body, learning about your body, knowing what's normal and knowing when your body is telling you that something is wrong. Because a lot of the times what we've been feeling has been abnormal. For example, discharge, which is a very normal thing. A lot of people feel like it's abnormal. I watched an interview where there was, um, you know, there's a lot of funny uh, interviews going around where women are interviewing men and asking them about, you know, reproductive health, specifically around the vagina and vulva and menstruation. And they said multiple times that discharge was not normal. And so we have maybe partners that are telling us that we should be dry. Is that what they want? Like, what is what is this per, like this perpetuated notion of what is considered normal, beautiful, accepted? And so, That's yeah, such yeah. An interesting point, because when I lost my period, like I went through like six months to a year of amenorrhea, I was dry. And let me just tell you, it was horrible. Yeah. Like I wasn't having any kind of that, like especially cervical mucus and really not even any discharge, like things just weren't working the way they should. And it's crazy that that many people would think that discharge is abnormal. That just makes me like feel like sex education has failed all of us so 100%. much. 100%. Yes, 100%. And I think with vaginal health, it can lead to a lot of, you know, first of all, shame, like we talked about, but then also like issues with relationships, issues with pleasure, you know, having a discomfort with your body and feeling like something is always wrong. You know, how many of us have not actually looked at our vulvas or when we do, we're kind of like, ooh, is this normal? 
you know, we've all kind of been there. And a lot of the times we're not given the proper education to, to know what is normal and abnormal. So that's really like where my passion lies. I want to be able to like empower people to understand their bodies and be in tune with them. Know when it's normal, when it's fine, and when it's just your body doing its bodily things. And when there's options to have some treatments to help you move past some of those concerns. Yes, I think that's like such an important point. Like what is quote unquote normal? What is healthy? What is what your body's supposed to be doing versus, okay, this actually may be abnormal and it could be an indicator that something's off. This is like really random. But when I was in college, I didn't know that the vulva could like create new like lips. It's like not the right word, but I didn't know that it can like evolve. So mm-hmm. like I went to my doctor, and I was like, what's wrong with me? And they're like, this is normal. This is just your vulva like taking care of itself and protecting itself. So like, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Like I thought I was dying. I was like, I have some kind of STD that I'm dying. And actually they were like, no, this is just your vulva taking care of itself and kind of like expand. Expanding is not the right word. I forget what word they used, but it was normal. Yeah. So with the vulva, you know, when we're aroused, there's certain like changes that actually happen in the vulva, whether it's like blood being engorged in the area. So you might notice some swelling. That's totally normal. Um, there's also layers of like hormones impacting the way our vulva looks. So as we get into menopause, where we're losing some of that estrogen and having some um, hormonal deficiencies, then we can see some changes. So it makes sense around puberty in our 20s, we might notice some changes, um, but there's no harm. I think you did the right thing, just going and getting it checked, doing a little physical exam, just to make sure that there's no concerns. So let's start. Discharge is a big one that people ask about. So let's start at discharge and then we can work through kind of the most common things people ask. Because when I posted on our Instagram story yesterday and was like, we're talking about vaginal health and the the questions just started like flooding in. Okay, amazing. And the biggest thing was discharge and smell are two things that people ask about. So let's start with discharge. Is there a difference between discharge and cervical mucus? Yeah. So let's define discharge. So discharge is kind of a combination. You can kind of think of it as an umbrella term. So the thing that you see on your underwear is the vaginal discharge, but it's a combination of multiple things. So your cervical mucus would be in there. We have cells from our vagina that kind of get sloughed off and like kind of like your skin, right? You lose dead skin cells. Very similar to that. We have vaginal cells. We also have pr- products from the good bacteria in our vagina that produce things that are also um, in our, our, our discharge. And then the other really key component to this is that we have this crosstalk between our vagina and our blood system. So the vessels that surround our vagina can actually seep, like li- liquid um, and fluid from the blood vessels can actually seep through and that can create an extra fluid into um, our vaginal discharge. Now, the key thing, the reason I mentioned that, it's called transidate, which is kind of this fluid that can seep through. The reason that I think this is so important is there is kind of this by, like, um, what's the word that I should use? There is this two-way valve with our vagina and our bloodstream. So like I said, for the vaginal discharge, there can be fluid that comes out of our bloodstream into the vagina. But then also we think of toxic products that we might be using in the vagina, whether that's lubricants, menstrual products, et cetera, that the chemicals can then be absorbed. They talk about the vagina as a highly absorbable tissue absorbed right into our bloodstream. So this is why I'm a very strong advocate of really clean products, especially in and around the vagina because of how absorbable those things are. So that's kind of the umbrella term. 
so many things incorporated in our discharge. And that's why when we talk about cervical mucus, it's really important to differentiate it from a more internal perspective. But externally, it's kind of difficult to really distinguish is this discharge, is this cervical mucus? One thing to note, though, is that your discharge and your cervical mucus changes with your menstrual cycle. If you are menstruating, um, there are different points of your menstruation and menstrual cycle that you might notice certain things. So, for example, when you are actually bleeding, you're not going to notice a whole lot of discharge. It's often really dry and you're going to have blood that's going to kind of cover up any color or texture to that discharge. Once we get out of our period, though, it becomes a little bit more, but it's still in that dry phase. Really, when we're going to notice discharge is around ovulation. So there's the ovulatory window when you're when you're releasing an egg, and that's when you have the sticky egg white discharge that they talk about. It's like a slippery, usually clear consistency, and that's usually around that time. And then as we finish out of that ovulatory window and we head towards our period again, then it starts decreasing again. So it gets more into that dry, slowly but surely gets more into that dry situation. And then we go into our period. So these are natural and normal things to kind of watch out. Um, one thing I will note is a couple of normals. So you can actually have between two and five milliliters of fluid. So that's actually quite a bit. If you go, um, I don't have like a good representation on me right now, but Dr. Jen Gunter, who's an OBGYN, she has a really good um, representation of what that looks like on a, like a, on a pad. Um, and it's actually crazy because most of us don't even have nearly as much as five milliliters, but that's considered normal. Um, so that's number one. So amount varies from person to person and quite a high amount is still within the normal range. When we look at color, we're looking at things from white to clear and sometimes an off-white or like a slight yellow. It shouldn't be too yellow, but maybe a slight yellow sometimes. Um, as we get into things that might be yellow, green, even gray, then that might indicate something else could be happening. Texture, again, changes throughout your menstrual cycle. Thin, thick can all be there, slippery, sticky, all textures that are quite normal. Um, and then the odor. So kind of tying in that last question about smell. Our vaginas, and I will say this loud and clear, it should not smell like roses. So it is something that a lot of companies will target us for, telling us that their products will reduce the odor. And the odor of vaginas, they kind of describe it as like this musky, acidic kind of odor because our good bacteria in our vagina is constantly producing something called lactic acid, which creates that acidic, soury type um, odor and often taste. And so that is considered normal. When we're getting into those products that are ensuring you're going to taste like fruits and roses and all of these things, oftentimes they're going to be way more harmful than good. And I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But this kind of gives you a good layout as to what is normal. And then when are, are times that you might want to go and get that checked out? Yeah, I think that is like an amazing foundation of like, here are the key things you need to know. And then it is frustrating. I actually did know about that Lysol ad. I like did it. I was doing research on it and people were douching with Lysol and like yeah. a couple of people died. Like it was like yeah. a real thing. And so I think touching on like it's normal to have a lot of discharge. It's normal to not have a ton. Like normal is different for each person. Um, but big change is what you want to look for. Like exactly like you said. So that color, a big change in smell. But let's actually just go ahead and jump into why those products can be more harmful. Because I remember in college, I lived on like a hall with like a bunch of other girls and me and another girl were like, no, we just use like water and light soap. 
And everybody was like, ew, you guys are so gross. That's disgusting. And then now that we're all adults, my friends are like, oh, yeah, actually, we shouldn't have been using all that stuff because now I got a bunch of yeast infections and UTIs in college and it sucked. And so let's talk about kind of why those products are harmful and maybe even some safe alternatives or how you recommend washing. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just really quickly on that last point around normals and abnormals, I want to just point out a couple things. So number one, like we said, changes are important to note. But number two, if symptoms are bothering you, then you can go get that checked out and make sure nothing's going on. So like if you're not producing enough vaginal discharge or vaginal lubrication and it's impacting your sex or impacting just comfort in that area, talk to a doctor or healthcare provider that can help you through that. If you do have an odor and it's all of a sudden really strong or you're noticing that there's different changes, talk to your doctor. There's no harm in having a healthcare practitioner or practitioners. I like having a team of practitioners that are going to work with you and make sure that you are comfortable, confident, and feeling good um, in various areas of your life. So I just wanted to quickly say that before we jump into this next part. Um, So in terms of products, so currently we have a lot of products. There are multiple ingredients that I don't love, to be honest. Number one, is glycerin. This is found a lot of the times in our lubricants. Um, Most of us will probably, you know, I will give you a second to just grab it. And this is going to be something that is in most lubricants. Um, Unfortunately, there is actually research, which if you think about it, just because there isn't research, it doesn't mean that it's not a problem. But there actually is research to show how glycerin can impact our good bacteria in the vagina. So decreasing what's called lactobacillus, which is the good healthy bacteria that helps maintain um, our vaginal health and also prevents any bacterial infections. So we have that. Um, We also have an issue with our vaginal pH when we use glycerin products internally. And so both of those things can be make us more prone to bacterial infections. Another thing like fragrances, those are really common in sprays, um, perfumes, uh, washes, different things that can be used to quote unquote help with odor. The problem with fragrances is it's basically just an umbrella term for chemicals. There's no specific way that these companies have to regulate the fragrances that they put into these products. And so from that sense, like although there's not a ton of research on it, there is very clear indicators that they can cause irritations, allergies, and other issues to our vaginal health. So those are a couple of them. There's a whole lot of others. I can probably talk for two hours just on this topic. Um, but parabens, for example, is another one. It's an endocrine disruptor. So it's not something that I personally love to have inside or around the vagina, especially when it's so close to my reproductive organs. These are all just different things to keep in mind. The research is ever changing. Um, I know there are a few OBGYNs um, like Dr. Jen Gunter. I love her. Um, I think her vag- vagina Bible, I really love the book. Um, there are a couple things, for example, her talks about menstrual care products not being an issue despite what's found in them. And I do think there are still some caveats to that topic. Um, there are com- conversations about bleach being used in these products, fragrances being used in these products, and a bunch of different chemicals that can cause um, inflammation and issues with our reproductive organs. So it's just something to keep in mind, even though the research isn't super strong, it's kind of a tough area for them to do research. It's always kind of been with reproductive health care for women and people with vulvas. We are really lacking, unfortunately. So it's something to just kind of keep an eye out for as it evolves. Um, But those are just some general ones. Again, like if you're not following me on Instagram, this is something I talk about a lot. So that's something that um, I will continue to post just to make sure you're informed and can make some good decisions about products you're purchasing. 
Tanabsh and recommend following Jess on Instagram because I that's actually how I found her to come on the podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh, everything she posts is just like amazing. I was Googling my lube while we were talking to like check it out. And I think mine's actually pretty good. But I mean, there's some things maybe like has stevia in it, which I didn't realize, mm-hmm. which that I don't know. There's not a whole lot of research. Mm. I would uh, like in terms of sugars, like we don't really yeah. love putting sugars in and around the vagina just because of its impact on yeast and things like that. Bacteria love sugar. Um, but yeah, I would have to look at the products. Like I, that's honestly been such a struggle for me to actually create a list of ones that I quote unquote approve. It's been really tough because there are so many ingredients that people put in there that either doesn't have research or has really like small amount of research or evidence that I'm kind of iffy about. But then there's not really a better option. So really creating this like best case scenario, given the options that are out there. I mean, ideally, one day I will create my own lubricant and I will keep you all posted when that happens. When that happens, we will tell everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, Stevie, it has some other things. I'll send it to you after the podcast, but it has some other things in it. The Stevia was just the one that I was like, huh, that's in- hmm. interesting. Um, okay, so that's really helpful. And you know what's interesting? Whenever period care products come up, the thing that I'm always like hyper aware of is it's so unfortunate that these ingredients, the harmful ingredients are allowed to be used because if you can afford to buy the top of the line period care products and avoid these ingredients, that's great. But then it just shows me how much work we have to do because it's not fair that like period products are expensive, period, period. And in the U.S., yeah, period, they are expensive. And in the U.S., specifically, I'm in Texas, there is an 8.5% luxury tax on top of period care products. So if you're thinking about buying, say like you barely can afford period products, you have to buy the ones that have these harmful ingredients in them. And then you're being taxed on top of that. That's insane. It's insane. And these ingredients just need to be not allowed to be put in these products. So that's like a probably a whole other episode. It's just yeah, we can lobby it. (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Yeah. No, it's interesting because we use this, you know, people are using it potentially every 28 days or more. Um, And so it depends how heavy their cycles are. But this is something that they're exposing their bodies to on a regular basis. Right. And there isn't, like you said, accessibility is something that's really close to my heart. And I I hope that that can be um, a really key part in my career is being able to give back because the lack of um, accessibility to the products that I want to recommend, it's it's just the reality. So, you know, we have people who can't afford organic, 100 percent organic cotton uh, period products. And then what what do we recommend? Right. So it is really this. Uh, full circle. It's not just about us educating, but it's also us dealing and lobbying for change to happen from a government level. Um, I think that's such, such, such a key, key part of this conversation, especially when it comes to reproductive health, sexual education, menstrual health, all of those things, reproductive rights, all of it ties so well into this topic for sure. Yeah, all of it. And yeah, it's an ever going conversation. It's just always so top of mind to me when I look at my lube that's $30 for like a tiny bottle. And I'm like, I'm not even sure if this is good for me, let alone the $5 one. $5 ones, $12 ones. Yeah, for sure. I know second part to your question was kind of what do I recommend instead or in treatment of different things. So I think what I like to suggest is not to go into your cabinet and throw out everything. Don't do this massive purge of your lubricants, your menstrual products, specific underwears. Like, don't do it all. Take it slow. It's kind of like when you're doing toxic-free home 
like home equipment and all of that stuff. Don't be you. Me. Don't throw yeah. everything out and then realize you have nothing. And now you have to go repurchase everything, everything? and then you still yeah. don't know what you're supposed to buy. So yeah, don't be me. Just don't take it that. slow. Take it slow. Deep breaths and make sure that you're doing the things that you use the most. So for example, um, if you have menstrual care products that you think it's accessible for you to purchase, maybe that's somewhere to start. Um, if you are someone who has sex frequently and is using lubricants frequently, maybe that's your place to start. It really depends person to person, but go slow. So that's what my suggestion is with the products. I think things like body washes, though, that would be something that you're using every single day. And so this is something that we can get into when we talk about vaginal care. But using unscented soaps um, is key if you're using a soap at all. And so when we, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. I, I will go a little bit deeper into that in terms of su suggestions for vaginal hygiene. Um, but the other part of this is from my, um, my focus being a holistic sex, sex educator and sex coach and then combining naturopathic medicine into this is really taking a holistic lens. And I think that's one thing that is missed in vaginal and sexual health because so many things are connected. So our vaginal health is connected to our gut health. So our gut microbiome, all the good bacteria impacts the good bacteria in our vagina. It's very key. It starts when we are um, when we are born. Basically, there are so many different things that happen from a gut bacteria and vaginal bacteria perspective. So that's something we need to consider. We also need to consider your immune system. Like, are you frequently getting colds? Do you have issues with your immune system? That can be something that can be increasing your risk of getting recurrent infections. We look at stress. We look at diet. We look at movement. We look at your lifestyle. We look at all of these different things to make sure that we're having a whole body full approach to each person. Hormones are another thing that can be underlying there. Um, people with PCOS are more likely to get bacterial vaginosis, especially recurrent bacterial vaginosis. People with nutritional deficiencies, so vitamin D, for example, if you have a deficiency in vitamin D, you're oftentimes more at an increased risk of recurrent BV. So see how all of these things come together. It's not as easy as going and taking a probiotic every time or taking antibiotics every time. It really needs this full body approach to prevent recurrent infections to prevent your symptoms and make sure that you're comfortable and confident with your sexual and vaginal health. So that's kind of the approach that I would take um, moving forward with vaginal health treatments. Okay, yeah. we can all stop listening. Go home now. That was like the that was yeah. the best thing that we've had like in a long like that is just like I think that that's the gist of this that's so important is even everything I know, I still always thought of my vagina and vulva as this separate Mm -hmm. part of me so like you're so right that it it starts at birth which is crazy and so cool and then you know we nurture that through the entirety of our lives and yeah. it is about food it is about movement it is about I mean even stress like when I was going through my eating disorder recovery I constantly had yeast infections and BV because my body just couldn't keep up like it just couldn't yep. take care of itself um the immune system in the vagina is really cool. I feel like we need to do like a whole other episode on yeah, that. Yeah, we could probably do this four-part series on vaginal health. Like I swear, I just want you to come back like a hundred times. Now I've written so many notes of like, oh, this is cool. Oh, we need to follow up on this. Um, okay, I have so much I want to talk to you about. So I want to bring up the two biggest other questions we got. And then I want to end with us talking about care. Because I feel mm -hmm. like that is a great place for everyone to be able to pause and take notes and say, okay, Here's a few things that I can do right now. Yeah. So one question we got a lot of questions about, and this may not, this may be more of a public floor therapy question. So if it is, we can put a pin in it and I can get mm -hmm. an answer. Menstrual cups 
and vaginal mm-hmm. health. Is there any research? Um, is there anything you can say on that? Yeah. So, okay. So something, it's not necessarily research. It's research has been tough to find. I have found a couple of like almost case reports where it's one-off situations or really small research studies talking about how for people with a predisposition to certain vaginal infections, um, menstrual cups could perpetuate that. And I think if we take it back from a more physiological perspective and just kind of explain to you why I'm thinking that and just kind of the research that kind of supports this is our vaginal pH should be roughly between 3.8 and 4.5. And like I talked about, this is produced strictly through our good bacteria. So as long as we have that good bacteria, it's producing lactic acid, which is keeping our vaginas acidic, healthy, fighting bacteria. The problem is, is that when we're on our menstrual, um, like when we're menstruating and we're bleeding, the blood has a pH of seven to eight. So it's much more basic. So what happens is it ends up for some people messing up their vaginal pH and it creates it more alkaline where it's not in that ideal range where it can fight bacteria. So some people actually notice that after their periods, they have vaginal odor or they know that they have a flare-up in their yeast infections or their bacterial uh, vaginosis, whatever that may be. And this is because we are seeing this change in our vaginal pH. They might actually notice their symptoms go away after a few days off of their period. And this is just something that they've noticed. So my suggestion usually for people who have noticed any changes with their odor or their vaginal health in and around their periods or around their menstrual care products is to change them more frequently. So something that I do, um, just, you know, with the menstrual cup, you can technically have it in for like 12 hours. I wouldn't suggest that because what's happening is that blood is now staying in there instead of flowing out. It's actually just staying in there and can have impacts on your vaginal pH for a longer period of time. So I like the idea of, of switching them out more frequently, making sure that you're rinsing it properly and then inserting it back inside. Um, Also making sure that you're having good quality silicone, medical grade silicone in those menstrual cups is key. I don't personally like the ones that are dyed, like these menstrual cups that are pink and purple. I don't love it. I don't know what they've dyed it with, but I just personally like the straight silicone. And then the other thing is for me, what I like to do, that's what I was trying to say, is I have some periods where I will just let it free flow. So I will use a pad, even though I don't love flat pads or um, menstrual underwear to let things just kind of do its thing. Because I think when we're using tampons and menstrual cups and discs and all of these so frequently, we're kind of suffocating the vagina in a way. And I'll talk about this in the like the care topic at the end. We don't want to suffocate her. We really want to keep that open and airy and breathable. Okay, so that's just something to consider. That is all such good points. My brain is just like reeling, like thinking about that because I actually have been doing that too. Like I'll use my menstrual cup on like the first, like I usually have like one heavy day, use my menstrual cup. And Mm -hmm. then after that, I try to let it flow because it just feels so much better to me personally. And I had to use tampons this last period because like it was my fault. I just wasn't paying attention. I was like at a friend's house for the weekend. And I was like, it's so interesting because I feel like when I use tampons, it does significantly shift my scent in a way that like, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't like this doesn't something. This isn't my normal period scent, like, you know, so it's interesting just like that thought of like changing more frequently, letting things flow. The dyes is a really great point. I'm thinking I've got a blue one and an orange one. I'm like, I probably should just have like a normal silicone one. Okay, those are all amazing points. I just took a bunch of notes. So we'll make sure that that's in the show notes. Okay, next question we got. Undies. 
Yes. Which maybe this can lead us into the care piece. Cause I know that that's mm-hmm. probably going to be like our big, like important takeaways piece. So underwear, this is something I never thought about until one of my friends had recurrent UTIs and she was told to change her underwear and it made like a world of difference for her. So is there anything we should think about when we think about underwear? Okay. So a couple things. So organic, like cotton is ideal. It's not always accessible. So let's talk about accessibility and what is ideal um, in terms of what you're using in and around the area. So with underwears, I suggest breathable cotton. So a lot of these like sexy underwears, they have lace, they have polyester, they have spandex. It's not ideal because like I talked about, we don't want to suffocate the vagina or the vulva. So we want to let, let it breathe. And so something to consider is not just, so, you know, some people say, you know, the, how do I explain it? You know, on the inside part of the underwear where it's like the, the gusset, vein, the gusset, that is the word. Yes. The gusset, the triangle that touches your vulva. This is usually cotton in most underwears. So people think, okay, well that part's touching my vulva. So everything's fine. But the problem is the rest of the underwear might be spandexy. And so then it's consi- like it's very tight on the vulva. And this is something that I would suggest to avoid, especially for long periods. Obviously, if you're just in a mood to like put some sexy panties on and like, you know, th- if it's a short period, I'm not concerned about it. When you're spending all day in the underwear, going to the gym, we are going to want something that is more, more breathable. So something that is all around cotton would be ideal. You can kind of feel the difference when you put on stuff that is going to be breathable and then things that are very tight. Um, you know, those those seamless underwears are often very tight. You know, you can tell right away when your um, vulva or vagina is feeling a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit suffocated. You can tell. So I would avoid those um, to like to not wear those throughout the day. Maybe that is something you wear with a specific outfit that requires seamless underwear. It's not something that you're using every day. So that's like one kind of tip. The other side of this is if you are in that range of someone who is producing excess discharge, so in that four, five, even three milliliter range, I know you can't really measure it, but if you're producing discharge where it's getting onto the underwear, actually hardening or something that is becoming uncomfortable where you're feeling the, you know, that wetness in your underwear, you can just change your underwear a little bit more frequently. There's absolutely no concern with that, no problem with that. I actually love doing that. It just makes me feel more comfortable. And there is also a level of like preventing any excess bacteria buildup or any suffocation, as I said, um, of the vulva and the vagina. So that's another tip that you can have, just changing your underwear more frequently. Also, the other part is after the gym, after you sweat a lot, this is another piece. You might want to just change your underwear coming back from the gym. Obviously, a lot of us shower, but if you're running, let's say to the gym, then to work, and then you're coming home to shower, bring an extra pair of underwear so that you can change into it and let it breathe. So that is the key. If we're going to quote something, let it breathe. Let your vagina and vulva breathe. It's interesting because I used to definitely be like that sexy underwear gal. And then if anyone frequently listens to the podcast, I know that I have eczema around my bikini line or I did for a long time. And I had this like crazy experience in college where like I basically felt like I had yeast infection for two years but it was an autoimmune response which is like wow very random and rare I only wear like very breathable cotton undies now I put some on the other day that weren't and I was like this is you notice like yeah you'll notice it you'll notice how much better you feel like if you're thinking about your underwear throughout the day that might be a sign like they're not the right undies for you because like Mm -hmm. you should basically never feel them it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be something that you're constantly like tugging with and playing with. Like it's, it should be comfortable. 
Exactly. Okay. Last piece. We've just had so many good things. We're definitely going to have to do a part two. There's just too many. There's so many things to talk about. There's too many great things to talk about. Last couple minutes, care. Like if you just, if they're listening and they're like, people like want to take notes on like, what are like a few things that I can do? Obviously we've talked about so many amazing things, but just like little nuggets of care for the vagina and vulva that you wish everybody knew. Okay, let's talk about washing our vulvas and vaginas. First of all, our vaginas, nothing, nada. We don't need anything to be washing our vaginas. This is the part of our bodies that is the inside canal. So this is where you would put tampons. This is where um, you would insert any products, your fingers or sex toys or penises. This is that part. We don't want anything else going in there. No fluids, no douching, nothing. So that's that part. Then we have the vulva. The vulva is everything that's touching your underwear. So your labia, um, so the lips, the inner and outer lips, like those are the areas that you might want to clean. Sometimes you notice that there might be some discharge um, that kind of gets built up in those areas. So cleaning it is obviously important, but what you're cleaning it with will be crucial in how you're doing it. So obviously we want it to be cleaned every day, um, but what are you using there? So technically you just need water. Water. Water would technically be enough. However, for some people, they prefer using some sort of soap or cleanser. And so what I suggest is unscented and mild soaps and cleansers. Dr. Jen Gunter talks about how um, she loves cleansers. It tends to not be as drying. I haven't yet found a cleanser that I'm super in love with in terms of using in the area because a lot of them do have fragrances and other chemicals. Um, But a product that I do really like is Dr. Bronner's um, unscented. Uh, They have like a baby soap or like Castile soap and like just a regular unscented soap. Um, This is just something that is light. There is no extra chemicals or scents. It is just super clean and something that can be just used to um, clean that area if you need it. Um, The other part of this is when you are having sex, making sure that you're urinating after anything that is being inserted into the vaginal canal to prevent any issues with bacteria and UTIs. And when you're urinating, we're making sure that we're wiping front to back. Okay, no back to front, front to back. So that's going to be another key component here as well. Um, And then some other things to tie in here, like when we're using any, you know, wipes, moisturizers, perfumes, these are all things that technically go in the area. Anything that we're using on our inner thighs might technically touch our vulva. These are all things to keep in mind. Those are the same types of products that we're going to want to avoid in terms of fragrances. We don't want that in the area. We don't want anything with like excess sugars, excess smells, anything along those lines we want to avoid. Everything should be kept quite clean. So wipes is another really common question that I get. In terms of should I use, can I use uh, wipes after sex or can I use wipes in the middle of the day or when I'm finishing my gym and just like get that over with. So the thing with wipes is most of the time they have very irritating ingredients. And so you might notice excess drying and excess irritation, maybe allergies, maybe some redness in the area because you're using certain wipes. So there's one, um, there's like a few brands that might be better. Like water wipes is one of them. It's strictly water and grapefruit seed extract is fine. But again, Why are we using the wipes? Why are we thinking that we need to have these products handy? Because a lot of the times this really stems back to this idea that vaginas and vulvas are inherently dirty, which has been something that has been kind of shoved down our throats from years and years and years of shame around this topic. And so if that's the reason, then we really need to reconsider. Obviously, if you go to the gym in the morning and you don't necessarily have access to a shower for a little bit, maybe you do want to use maybe a towel with water and just wipe the area from the sweat. 
that makes sense. But it's not something you need to be using. Wipes are not something you need to be using every single day. And I think that's the thing. Less is more a lot of the times with vaginal health and making sure that you're really feeling like confident in your vaginal health care routine will make sure that you're not leading to any other problems in the future. Because the more that you use, the more products that you buy, the, the perfumes, the soaps, the deodorants, like all of these things that they're trying to sell to us, a lot of the times will cause way more harm than good. Uh, yes, all of that is amazing. And I'm like mentally taking notes like this is so good. I think we're going to have to do another one if you have free time in the new year, because I think there's just yes, too much sure. to talk about. But thank you so much for coming on. We this episode is just such a wealth of knowledge. And guys, like seriously, follow Jess on Instagram. It will be linked in our show notes. We'll link some of those posts that kind of go into more detail about things that we talked about today. But, you know, moral of the story, like our vaginas and vulvas are not dirty. They don't need harmful chemicals to make them worthy or smell good. And you deserve to be comfy because that is a really key part of life. Anything yes. else, Jess? Uh, no, I do have a free um, little resource for um, working through our mindset around vaginal and sexual health. So I can send you a link that you can put in the show notes as well. That'll be awesome. We will totally link that. We'll link all your info. We are totally bringing Jess back. But if you liked this episode, make sure to leave us a review and a rating because that helps us reach more people and help more people feel better about their vulvas and their periods. So thank you guys for listening and thank you, Jess, for coming on. Thanks for having me.